Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Well, we are uh, in the middle of the series called Behold, and looking at what is called the high view of God. And so hopefully if you've been traveling with us, you've been getting good things. If this is your first Sunday, uh, that's okay, because this is, uh, you won't need to know previous messages to get this one. Um, But we titled this series Behold. It's kind of an old phrase. We don't really say it. I mean, it would be kind of weird if you were at the QT and, and somebody said, Behold! <laughs> a big Q with a hot dog uh, for sale. It's like, no, 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 you don't. So it's kind of an old school term, but uh, it means to fix our eyes upon, to see with atten- intention or attention, to observe with care. And uh, we really, uh, I, uh, we've been feeling uh, that there's a need in this season with all the chaos, with all the emotions, with all the propaganda out there, that we fix our eyes on the God who made us. And for us to see with intention just who God really is and really dialing in on understanding who is this God that made us. See, humanity has a tendency to reduce God down to manageable terms. The God who made everything and is greater than we could imagine gets reduced in our minds and lives as one who's akin to a cosmic Santa Claus. We want to get God to where we can use him, come to him only when we need something, or at least know where he is when it all hits the fan. The title of today's message is He is Far Above, Ever-Present, All-Knowing. Okay? So let's, far above, ever-present, all-knowing. Let's say that with me. Far above, above, ever-present, all-knowing God. That's who we are coming to be before this morning. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for the greatness of who you are. Father, I pray that with our maybe familiarity with you or familiarity with your name, God, that we would actually get to know the real you. God, we came here to experience you. God, we didn't come here to get entertained. God, we came here to experience the living God. So, Lord, I pray that you would just take over this time. God, speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. And, Father, we pray that your glory would be made real in our lives as we see you more fully for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the scriptures declare that God is exalted above the created universe, so far above our greatest conceptions and imaginations that human thought cannot comprehend it. He is far above. In other words, uh, the theological term is transcendent. God is transcendent. To think accurately about this, however, we must keep in mind that far above really doesn't refer to a physical distance from the earth, but rather a quality of being. He is far above humanity. He's far above anything that was created. 
is not to think God as the highest in an ascending order of beings, starting with a single cell and going up to a fish, to the bird, to an animal, to man, to an angel, to a cherub, to God. It does not, it is not like that. God forever stands in inapproachable light. Take the difference between an ant and an angel. Okay, now go with me on this one. Take the difference between an ant and an angel. So far above is that angel from that ant. I mean, an ant is a created super angel, supernatural being you can't even see. So the difference between an angel and an ant is still finite because they're both created. But the difference between an angel and the Lord himself is infinite. He is far above anything that he creates. He is infinite. Yet this transcendent, far above all creation, almighty God is the same God who puts it in our hearts to seek him and to make it possible to know him. When the psalmist saw the transgression of the wicked, his heart told him how it could be. Psalm 36 the psalmist says this, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Before this transcendent created God, there is no fear of God before his eyes, he explains. And in so doing reveals what the mindset of sin always is. When man no longer fears God, they transgress his laws and his ways without hesitation. The fear of consequences is no deterrent when one who's lost the fear of God. In the past, men and women of faith were described as those who would walk in the fear of the Lord, or they serve the Lord in fear. However intimate their connection with God, however bold their prayers, at the base of their religious life was this conception of God as awesome in the truest sense of the word. Awesome. More accurately, you could describe the fear of the Lord as this. The fear of the Lord is an acute feeling of personal insufficiency in the presence of Almighty God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It is this acute feeling of personal insufficiency that we actually look into the mirror of reality and realize that you and I are not God. That's hard for some. But this is the right reaction before the living God. Whenever God appeared to people in the Bible, the results were pretty much always the same. An overwhelming sense of panic and dismay mixed with insufficiency and shame and sprinkle on a little insecurity. When God spoke, Abraham stretched himself before the ground. When Moses saw the Lord in the burning bush, he turned his face because he was ashamed to look. Isaiah's vision of God came with the cry, woe is me in Isaiah 6. Woe is me in this confession, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. When God shows up on the scene, these experiences show that a vision of divine transcendence soon ends all controversy between man and God. As man sees God as he is, the fight goes out of him. And he is ready to merely ask, God, what would you have me do? 
Many call themselves by the name of Christ. They talk much about God and pray to him sometimes, but evidently do not know who he is. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life because you start seeing him as he is, not how we want him to be. And when we see that, it's freeing to our soul. When we come to a place to freely admit that we are insufficient. To just admit, to see the reality for what it is. You and I are insufficient without God. It's so freeing because you're lining up with reality. It's when we try to erect non-reality around us that there's, that there's a dissonance, that there's a mental incongruity, there's, there's just something not whole or integrous or made right. This great God is not only transcendent, meaning he's much greater, he's higher, he's far above, he's of different substance than you and I, but he is also ever-present. This most high God also is ever-present. God is everywhere here, close to everything, next to everyone. He is omnipresent. Men and women the world over in every age and culture have been concerned with the question of what kind of world or universe is this? Is this a material world running by itself? Or is this a spiritual world run by unseen powers. The Word of God claims to have the answer to those questions. It does not speculate nor offer opinion, but it presents, thus saith the Lord with authority. And it's that authority that the, the, the Word carries. It declares confidently that the world is spiritual. It originated in spirit, it flows out of spirit, it's spiritual in essence, and is meaningless apart from the spirit who gives all life. This great central truth gives meaning to all other truth and in so doing apart's supreme value to this life. He is far above, yet he is ever present. It adds value and meaning to everything that we do. God is present near us, next to us, and this God sees us and knows us completely. God sees you and knows you completely. David said it marvelously in Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. It is an automatic response when God shows up on the scene to turn, run, and hide. It's what happened in the garden, and that's a lot of times what happens to our human heart when God begins to lean in and get closer, or we begin to sense it. He's been there the whole time. But we hide from God. I mean, you might know what that is. I mean, you could, 
If you really wanted to hide from God, I mean, you could, you could hop in your car. You could wake up real early, hop in your car, get on a plane, hop on that plane, get through a couple connections, get yourself to sub-Saharan Africa. If you get yourself to sub-Saharan Africa, you could find some remote place that maybe no other human being has ever explored before, and you, get, you build a little house, and in your little hut, as you're hiding from God, he'll tap you on your shoulder and say, hey man, what you doing? Who are you heading from? I've been here this whole time. Where are you going? You and I cannot hide from God. Nothing is hidden from God. No action, either publicly or even behind closed doors, God knows it all. No words, either face to face or behind their back or even online, God knows what you've said. Not even our words or our actions, but even the thoughts and intentions of our heart, he sees and we can come up with so many different justifications and rationalizations as to how that's not true, but it is. And the expression is, oh my or amen. Uh-oh or amen. And it is before this transcendent, ever-present, all-knowing God that mankind chose to rebel from, to seek our own autonomy from, and to be gods ourselves. That, in essence, is what Sin is, as we exalt ourselves and place, it, place ourselves on the throne. And in so doing, we imitate Satan, who said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will be like the Most High. Yet it's so subtle in our hearts. Man is born a rebel, and very rarely is he aware that he's even one. The constant assertion of self appears to be a perfectly normal thing. He's willing to share himself, sometimes even sacrifice himself for a desired end, but to never dethrone himself. He is still in his own eyes a king on a throne and no one, not even God, can take it from him. And so sin has many manifestations, but his essence is one, a moral, spiritual being created to worship God before his throne sits on a throne of his own making and of that, in that laughable position declares I am. <laughs> but it's only when in the gospel the soul is brought before the face of almighty God and all of our puffed up ego and weak excuses find their end and God's conviction hits our hearts. So what happened in Acts 2 when Peter stands up and preaches this epic message before the temple and people from all over the world are there. And after he shares this message that, and his final line is this, Acts 2.36, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other brothers, brothers, what should we do? We realize that we are completely insufficient, that we, in our own effort, in our own ego, try to elevate ourselves to be like God, but yet when he comes on the scene, our, normal, our natural response is, God, what would you have me do? This is the deep heart cry of every man and woman who suddenly realizes that they are a usurper and they sit on a stolen throne. 
Alexander Kierkegaard said this, for to set our will against the will of God is to dethrone him, mainly in our imaginations. You and I do not dethrone the living God. He's on the throne irregardless. But irregardless, that's not even a word. Praise the Lord. For to set our will against the will of God is to dethrone God and make ourselves supreme in the little kingdom of man's soul. This is sin at its evil root. Sins may multiply like the sands of the seashore, but they are yet one. Independent man can do nothing but sin in that his deeds are not really good at all. His best religious works God rejects as he has rejected the offering of Cain. Only when he has restored his stolen throne to God are his works, are he and his works acceptable. It's not up there, but in Matthew 7, Jesus, part of the Sermon on the Mount, is kind of at the tail end of it. Jesus said, man, on that day, many will come to me. On that final day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did, weren't we not one of your people? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You and I can live a religious life and do kind of the religious things, but yet never really know God. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Ourself, bent towards rebellion, must die. Must die. And the only instrument by which it can be slain is the cross. Jesus said that if any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Meaning if you want to follow after me, you must die and come follow after me. Paul, the apostle Paul, articulated it this way. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And then life Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. A follower of Jesus is one who has died, who has given up their throne back to the one who is on the throne. And yet, even though our flesh, our old life is dead, we still live in Christ. He puts the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, God places inside your heart when you are adopted into his family. And it's when we bow before him as God, where our heart's allegiance are his alone, that we find ourselves welcomed back home to God, the place that our heart has been looking for since you were born. (laughs) Redeemed, That word redeemed means he bought you out of slavery. You were in debt in slavery. Jesus redeems you, meaning he paid your debt and has brought you out of slavery into his own home, into his family, where our hearts become whole and the image of God that he's placed in you begins to wake up and you begin walking out the purpose for which he created you. But he is the far above 
ever-present, all-knowing God. And I feel like God wanted to remind us that he sees everything. He knows everything. And it's this call to stop playing games with the Most High God. (laughs) Because you know we do. And you know we play around and we kind of give ourselves a pass. But yet when we come before the Lord, there's this acute feeling of insufficiency and that we know that only in Him are we fully sufficient. Only in Him are we fully strong. Only in Him is our flesh under control and our spirit is made alive. Only in Him are we redeemed and brought back home. And that is the cry of the gospel, which is, here is this Jesus, God in the, made in the flesh, came to redeem as a full, fully satisfied sacrifice to God for mankind's sins. But it's when we wake up, we begin to turn and lean into, wow, there is a God who made me. Wow, there is a God, this didn't happen by chance that this world is spiritual. And until you and I connect to that spirit who made everything, you and I will continue to live fractured, broken, halfway empty lives. (laughs) But as we turn to him, as we give that throne that we've erected in our own heart and we just say, God, this throne is yours. I no longer sit on it. I want you to sit on it because you're the rightful king. And I am just your child and I get to be a part of your family. So let's pray. And as we, as we do, I feel like the Lord wants to bring a transaction actually to every one of us today. Not just those who may have never been welcomed home in God, but those who we become maybe too familiar with him. And that God wants to refresh our mind of however present he is in our life. Amen? Let's pray. God, we come before you today. We thank you that you are a far above God, far above this drama, far above our own lives, our own brokenness, that you stand holy, set apart, far above all other creation. Lord, we thank you, God, that I pray that well, right now, if, if, there's, if there's any one of us here that have yet to be welcomed home, that, have, that we, we know that we've been on our throne our whole life. We know that we've never given up. We may have played religious games. We may have done some good things in the past, but we know as of today, we are on the throne of our own heart. God, if that's any one of us here, God, right now, I pray that you would do a supernatural transaction. God, take that dusty little throne that we try to make ourselves bigger and greater than we really are. God, we exchange that. And God, we give up being in control. God, we die to our old nature. God, we say yes to the new nature that you have for us, to come in, to make your home and abode in our life. God, to speak to us, to transform us, to be the ever-present God, the all-knowing God. If that's you, just say, Jesus, right now, I give you my whole heart. God, I repent from running from you. I repent from playing games with you.
And without excuse, I come before you, the living God, today. God, take my heart, take my broken life, take the damage I've done, not only to my own life, but to other people. God, I, take, I pray that you would take that into your hands. And God, make it what you designed to make it. God, take our life and build our life in your power in a way that is beyond our imagination. So Lord, we yield our life to you today, in Jesus' name. And God, those that may have given their allegiance to you, but God, we've, we've become a little distant from the greatness of you. God, I pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. God, the joy of who you are that we get the privilege of knowing the Almighty God. God, that we get to hear your Spirit speak to us on a daily basis. God, we get to hear from your Word, and your Word speaks life into us. God, there's so much death and decay, and we become so familiar with it. God, I pray that we would put a resilience in our heart, that we would not settle for anything less but you in your presence. God, that we wouldn't settle for our own ideas, but God, we, we uh, celebrate your ways because God, they're the right ways because God, you are all-knowing and ever-present. God, you stand outside time and space. You see the beginning from the end. Lord, your plan is perfect. Lord, there's a lot of things that we don't understand. We don't understand the things that you do at times. And for us, for us humans, that's a little unnerving. But Lord, I pray that we would find peace in your presence, peace in your greatness, peace in your plan. Psalm 2 says the, the schemes, the man, man makes schemes and plans, but the Lord sits up in heaven and laughs. No one will defy the living God at the end. Lord, we're all our lives are accountable to you. God, you will hold us to account with how we live. And God, I pray that we would not trade in our inheritance, something of immeasurable value, like Esau traded his inheritance for a bowl of soup. And God, that bowl of soup could be a relationship, that bowl of soup could be an addiction, a habit. Father, that, that we're trading our inheritance for that. Lord, I pray that that would never be for us. Lord, that there's nothing on this world, nothing in this world that would compare to your inheritance in heaven. Lord, keep us focused. Let us be your church. God, there's so many people that need you in this hour. Father, I pray that you would give us the words, even though we are insufficient. And Lord, when we get around you, we're, we'll, we are uh, reminded of that. But God, I thank you that you're a God who can take insufficient, broken people and let your glory be put on display. God, that's amazing. And so Lord, we thank you for the great God that you are. And Lord... Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. 
we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.